Welcome to HDO Football. I'm Andrew Timbrell and on this episode, Tom Whitford and I speak to reporter and French football anorak Jonathan Johnson. We talk about the domestic landscape in France, PSG in limbo, and of course, some transfer news. Enjoy. Welcome to HGO Football, Jonathan. Fantastic to have you on. Um, how are you? Very well, thank you. And uh, yourselves, thanks for having me on. Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Um, looking forward very much to the start of the Premier League again. Uh, obviously, it's been a sort of a, a big period for the for the whole of the continent, and uh, is you know there's different levels of whether it should be returning or not. But I think as a core level as a football fan, very much looking forward to it returning. Uh, Aston Villa first up, leave a bit of an affinity there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the club that I grew up supporting. So uh, to be perfectly honest, I think the only way the Villa were going to get out of relegation was to play that game in hand. And I think had we not had the game in hand because of the cup final, it might have been a bit easier for the decision to end the season early. Uh, it would have made it would have made that a bit more straightforward. So, uh, you know, I guess from a Villa staying in the Premier League point of view, got to be uh, grateful that we're you know we're still going to get a, a shot at it because uh, it was looking pretty hopeless before the before the break. You know, we lost form massively, and despite the the, the positive of a of a League Cup final, uh, didn't look like our Premier League return was going to last more than a season. Mm. So with the Premier League returning, Jonathan, what's the feeling in France with a lot of the national leagues obviously restarting? Um, the, the French football fans feeling a little bit, a little bit lost at the moment. Bit stupid. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> they, I think the 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 thing is at the moment uh, with with the decision made in France is that they're not really going to know if it was the right decision to make until a lot longer, a lot or a lot further along the line. Mm. So. At this moment in time, the the feeling is a bit of bewilderment, really, looking around Europe at all the other major leagues, sure. how they're returning to play, or at least they're going to attempt to return to play. Uh, and, you know, the French clubs at the moment, as well as there being a load of different clubs seeking legal action because of the, the decision to bring about the, the, the end of the season early, uh, there's, there's also, uh, you know, a load of clubs asking, well, particularly uh, Lyon, asking if it's going to be fair for them and PSG to return to Champions League action, given that they're going to be, uh, you know, so, so far behind their European rivals by the time that, you know, the Champions League uh, does, mm. you know, resume and, uh, and, and, and sort of play out from the, the quarterfinal, well, the round of 16 and then the quarterfinal stages onwards. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty at the moment. Uh, a lot of frustration, uh, you know, because of that, there's a lot of recrimination as well, a lot of people pointing fingers. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't really see that mudslinging dying down anytime soon. So to, mm. I, I think at this moment in time, France is a good example of, of how not to end your season early, you know, because if at the end of the day, it's not necessarily the wrong decision to, to mm. end things early in France. You know, at the end of the day, if the government says we cannot uh, allow for any any collective sports to be played until September mm. then I think everybody should have united behind that the big problem for France was that not everybody united behind that and in fact after putting on something of a, a semi-united face to start with mm. everyone's pretty much gone their own ways and, and come out with their own opinions which has you know completely undermined the decision 
Mm. French football would have been better off staying in limbo uh, and, and waiting to see what, what happened elsewhere in Europe before making their decision. They're making the decision they've made and then having all of this mess that the, the followed. You know, there were TV deals cut short. Uh, you know, like I've already mentioned, a bunch of different clubs, you know, pursuing legal action. It's, it's just been very, very messy. Mm. Is that, what's what's the latest regarding Toulouse and Amiens? Is there any any, any updates on that? Yeah, well, there was there's expected to be an update from the the Court of Appeals t- today. So this is a Monday or tomorrow, which will be a Tuesday. So there is potential to to sort of have some development very soon on that front. Uh, and you know, but I, I, the, to be honest, at this at this moment in time, I don't see any way of them them being able to finish the 2019-20 season on the pitch, there's been some suggestion that they might finish it via a playoff system. Okay, at a push, I might be able to see that being feasible to determine something like European qualification. But even then, considering the decision was already made, certain teams have been told that they're already going to be in Europe next season. That's going to bring on a, a whole load of other uh, you know, uh, legal challenges. Uh, so... For me, I think the the most likely outcome, if there was to be some sort of action um, based on on the stuff that's gone to court recently, I'd say that it would probably be an enlarged league on for next season, so with more teams than usual. Uh, Whether that happens or not, we'll have to wait and see. League 2 recently, the presidents all voted uh, unanimously that League 2 should be expanded, uh, and then the French Football Federation with the casting vote said no. So, you know, that's just... It kind of gives you an illustration of, uh, of 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 just how futile, in many ways, uh, you know, some of the the sort of decision making within uh, domestic French football uh, can can feel for a lot of the leaders of these clubs. I guess the the irony might be that French football might be looking slightly. Uh, we we not wanting any tragic outcomes, of course, but actually the success of other leagues may actually undermine them slightly. It wouldn't probably do them any disfavour if there was a couple of incidences that proved that, you know what, we were right to call it. And actually, if all these leagues go off without a hitch now on their return, that's only going to add to the pressure, I imagine. So, you know, like I say, without wanting to wish foul on anyone anywhere, I imagine there might be some eyes looking and saying, well, actually, it wouldn't do them, as to say, any harm if there was some slip-ups elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I can see what you're what you're saying, and uh, you know, there is going to be uh, you know a lot of scrutiny towards particularly the the Premier League and uh, La Liga in the next couple of weeks when they come back, because those two countries were at the end of the day worse affected than somewhere like Germany, where you know the Bundesliga has been able to, to make a reasonably successful return so far. So you know, I think the the hardest is yet to come in terms of some of these leagues actually getting back into action. Um, and yeah, of course, like I said, you know, it's it's difficult to say right right now whether it was the right decision or not. Uh, you know, and morally, it may well turn out to be to have been yeah. the right decision in France. Mm-hmm. However, from a football point of view, when you consider that all the other leagues, are, you know, are at least trying to to, mm-hmm. to get their seasons finished at this moment in time, it was uh, it was a rush decision, and and that's solely. From the from you know from the football point of view, it, you know it's a matter of fact that if all the other leagues finish or at least try to finish, um, and the the French league doesn't and the Champions League does come back, uh, you know France's two remaining representatives in European football are going to be at a disadvantage. Mm. The other side of the coin, I guess, is that going into next season. 
the French clubs will be able to enjoy uh, a relatively full pre-season in July. So they, in theory, should be in better shape uh, and less fatigued going into the 2020-21 season. Mm, I mean, I mean, talking of the sort of issues with your your beloved club PSG at the moment, I mean, they're in a bit of a dilemma, aren't they, Jonathan? Because they're they're potentially having to prepare for Champions League fixtures without any competitive action um, in places. It, isn't it August? I think the Champions League rumored date of return, maybe. Um, what's what, what what? How do you see how do you see that club moving forward in the next sort of month or month or so? With obviously contract issues, transfers, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the expected return date for the Champions League is around mid-August. The expected start date for Ligue 1 for the 2020-21 season is the end of August. Uh, so that would give PSG, uh, you know, sort of bearing in mind that they're aiming to return to training on the 22nd of June. It gives them pretty much five weeks, for, so from the end of June to all through July, to play some friendlies, get themselves in shape. But it's one thing being in good enough shape, uh, you know, to sort of start a domestic season that they're expected to dominate in, and another for them to go up against, you know, one of Europe's best teams mm. who, who have potentially been back in league action for over a month yeah. uh, and, and expect them to sort of win out. Um, I mean, we don't even know yet whether it's going to be in the, in the same format as usual, whether it's going to be a two-legged affair or if it's just going to be a one-legged thing. Uh, so it's it's very hard to see exactly what um, scenario PSG are preparing themselves for at the moment. Obviously, we'll know more uh, once UEFA have spoken about it uh, in a in a couple of weeks' time. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's a complicated situation for for P- PSG to get themselves ready for, and it's made even more complicated by the fact that they've got a number of key players uh, who are approaching the end of their contract. So. PSG are also in a situation where they have to try and either negotiate to keep them um, until the end of the the Champions League action, which might not be attractive if they're told that they're not going to be handed a contract extension, uh, or you know they just decide to soldier on without them. In attack, it's a little less pressing now. The the issues now that the Mauro Icardi transfer has has mm-hmm. gone through, he's been uh, he's been acquired full time. But when you're looking at a defence that's probably going to lose Thiago Silva, uh, Thomas Mounier and Levin Kozawa, it's, uh, you know, without, without any obvious uh, recruits to, to sort of replace them, you know, it's going to be a tough ask for PSG to mm. make it further than the, the Champions League quarterfinals. Yeah, is there any, any light on where those three might be heading, Jonathan, at the back? Uh, I mean, there's been plenty of uh, speculation linking Kazal with a move to the Premier League. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me if that actually does happen. Uh, Mounier's been the subject of interest from Borussia Dortmund for a long time, but he's also been linked with a move to, to Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, more recently, uh, Jose Mourinho is apparently a, a big fan of his. So, you know, that's another possible one to watch. And with Silva, the, the, the problem is when you get to the age that he's at, paid the money that he's paid, uh, it's it is very difficult for a club, even in a normal climate, uh, to mm. sort of meet those demands. And when you add that to to what's been going on recently with the coronavirus as well, I find it very difficult to think that any European club is going to offer silver anywhere near what mm. he's been earning with PSG. Uh, so it wouldn't actually surprise me if we end up seeing him go back to Brazil, which is something he said he definitely wants to do before the end of his career right. uh, I don't think there's any club in Europe at the moment that has as strong a need for somebody like Silva yeah. um, mm. as you know 
uh, with Cavani, for instance, where he'd be an obvious good fit for Atletico Madrid and the, the sort of football that Diego Simeone plays. I was going to say maybe the the Icardi arrival sort of signals the departure of Cavani naturally, I guess. Yeah, it does, but obviously, you know, it brings a certain amount of sadness as well because if he doesn't get offered a contract um, extension uh, and doesn't get kept on for the remainder of the Champions League campaign, then that means that Cavani, who's been one of PSG's best best acquisitions under Qatari ownership, won't really get the send off that that he deserves at Parc des Princes until much much later. Mm. Uh, so you know, this obviously. He brings plenty of complications with it. Cavani's keen to see out the remainder of the, the Champions League campaign with, with PSG, but until all the players actually get back to France uh, and PSG can hold talks face to face with these guys, mm-hmm. uh, there's no you know there's no guarantee that you know they even will be there for, for the remainder of the European term. Mm, you were you were saying to me the other day that with Acardi's arrival that that maybe sort of gives Mbappe a chance to find a new role maybe in that side. Well, the thing is, Mbappe has been moving progressively more central uh, over the over the course of the last season or so, pretty much since he arrived at PSG. Uh, he's become more and more of a, a central figure in the project and in what's been happening on the pitch. And I think it's only it's only logical that he will end up playing through the middle, as you know, as most most players like that do. I mean, Ronaldo started out wide and ended up playing. It reminds me of Henri as well, doesn't it? That yeah. uh, Henri links. Yeah, yeah, Henri is another good example. Uh, you know, Ronaldo as well. Although Ronaldo was, you know, played centrally from a very, very early age. But in any case, I'm not convinced that Icardi will stay long, long term with PSG. There's uh, a clause in his contract that stipulates that PSG would have to pay Inter Milan 15 million euros extra if they were to sell him in either of the first two transfer windows. So that would be the next winter transfer window and then the next summer transfer window. So potentially from the winter of what, um, mm, 2022, yeah, yeah. He, he might be eligible to move then or PSG could move him on and not worry about having to work into, um, you know, some money. Uh, I see that as a, a possibility, but that would solely depend on Mbappe's situation and him renewing his contract with PSG uh, and at this moment in time, the situation between Mbappe and PSG is that Mbappe is happy with the progress made this season in the Champions League, getting to the quarterfinals. But with the Champions League campaign not, uh, not you know, not being finished yet, it's it's hard to gauge exactly how much progress has been made. So he won't be committing his future to the club until he has a definite idea of sort of where the the club is going and and you know what their next move might be. I mean, there's obviously a busy spell ahead, isn't there? I mean, obviously, with the domestic window now opening in France, um, that's obviously going to trigger off a lot of deals, isn't there? I saw I saw a name from the past being linked with, uh, is it Dijon, I think, Dubal Cisse, 38 years of age. Is there something in that? Or there's a name from the past. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's somebody who is still going uh, incredibly. Uh, I think he's still playing in, uh, in Switzerland and, and Dijon. Have, have been linked with a move for him. Uh, I know that he's been quite vocal about getting back into French football. I think he's a few goals shy of, uh, of, of breaking a record, so he's got a bit of an incentive there. I think he was actually quoted just over a month ago or something like that as saying that he would play for free if it gave him a shot at scoring these three goals to, to reach this uh, this landmark. So, uh, it, I mean, I, I, I 
I think that French clubs or French clubs that don't have a lot of money, so that's you know pretty much everyone apart from the likes of PSG mm-hmm. and Monaco, assuming that they uh, you know move on a, a, a boatload of players, which is what they're hoping to do this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, there's not really any clubs who obviously have a lot of money to to throw around. So you know there are going to be clubs looking to turn up bargains, and you know if a proven goal scorer like Gibral Cisse says he fancies another crack at Egan. Mm. Uh, you know, and he's fit enough, then, you know, I think there are going to be clubs who, you know, who might take him up on that. Mm. Uh, I mean, and Dijon as well, uh, where you've got sort of a new sporting direction coming in, another blast from the past, Peggy Luyendula has been named sporting director there. So it's, uh, you know, I, I think that in France at this moment in time, I mean, that this transfer window itself is giving French clubs as much time as possible to balance their books because in, in French football, you have to go before the French, uh, the French financial watchdog by the end of June. Uh, and if your books aren't balanced, then you could face administrative relegation uh, and not being able to start the, the season in the league that you're supposed to be starting in. <clears throat> so this transfer window opening now allows teams to sort of address the, the, you know, the, their, their financial needs uh, and, and potentially sell within the, you know, within the country. Uh, you know, to, to domestic rivals in order to to get their books in order. So, I was, was going to say, I was going to say to that end though, because um, last two or three seasons, uh, French football has been increasingly uh, uh, sort of plundered for by Europe's top top clubs um, for young talents. Um, and actually, does this give an opportunity for a lot of that talent to stay within France? Because actually, nowhere else is doing business. Everywhere else has got their eyes still on finishing this season. And actually, in the next sort of five six weeks maybe actually a lot of that business can be done internally. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's kind of what I was going to get around to because with the bigger clubs that do have a bit of money to throw around, say your PSGs uh, and your Monaco's, depending on what, what uh, which players they get rid of, uh, you know, they could look within France uh, and find players that could, you know, fill, the, fill their positions of need, uh, you know, and not spend an absolute fortune. So, yeah, you're right. It does give French football uh, a stronger chance of uh, of keeping some of these some of their best young talents um and also there's a lot of french clubs who aren't going to be able to wait around until uh, you know other mm. european clubs are able to mm. to move for their players because if they need to have you know the money sort of in their accounts on the books uh, by the end of the month you know they're going to be under pressure to make uh, their moves as quickly as possible mm. i mean you you mentioned Obviously, Monaco a minute ago, Jonathan, with the the, the, the boat metaphor. I like that one. Um, obviously, the Leipzig sporting director has been linked. Um, what do you know about him? Is is that a good move? I mean, I know Leipzig in the last three or four years have been doing some fantastic things, haven't they? Um, you've got. Dep- depends on how you view uh, their fairy tale rise through the through the ranks of German football. Some, you know, some people like it, some people don't. Uh, it's not the most organic, uh, but yeah, Paul Mitchell, so former uh, former Spurs uh, sporting director, mm. obviously uh, worked um, at Southampton as well before uh, having started out originally at MK Dons. He's been targeted as the you know the new sporting director for Monaco. Uh, that means that Monaco are either going to have to buy him out of his contract at Leipzig or he'll have to resign uh, in order to join. But the the challenge that will be facing him is he'd be going from. I mean, basically, he made a bit of a sideways move um, within the Red Bull organization last summer. He went from being the guy who brought in all of the the, the talents for, for, for Leipzig to being the guy who 
basically masterminds where all of the players within the Red Bull football clubs move all around the world. So it's not just uh, Leipzig, mm. you know, that includes uh, Salzburg, That's includes good, yeah. uh, Bragantino in Brazil, uh, New York Red Bulls as well. Mm. So it's, uh, you know, he, he had a more strategic role there than one of, of talent identification. But at Monaco, he'd sort of been in charge of all of that. He'd be in charge of somehow building up enough um, money from within the squad that they have by getting rid of a lot of those players, being able to bring in new talents, but also being able to farm out the youngsters to their satellite clubs, their Club Brugge in, uh, in Belgium. Mm. So, you know, you could see why it would be quite appealing. And when you also bear in mind that it sounds like um, Leipzig are going to be losing uh, Timo Werner to Chelsea. Uh, and there's been long-standing uh, links between Ralph Raniuk, uh, who's sort of the only person, uh, I guess, more senior than Mitchell in the in the Red Bull hierarchy. Uh, mm. You know, he's been strongly linked with a move to AC Milan. So, if you know the the two of them were to leave Red Bull, Werner was to leave as well. You know, that would be a massive, massive blow. I mean, I know that it's been mm. a it's, it's mm. a bit of a coup. To keep someone like Upper Meccano for a bit longer by some. I was going to say, contract. yeah. I mean, I can't. I'd love to see him in the Premiership. Yeah, fantastic defender. I mean, they've got some very, very good players. I mean, they, you know, they know the the French market well, and of course, that also speaks in uh, in Mitchell's favour ahead of this potential mm. move to Monaco. Mm. He has a track record of uh, identifying excellent, if not French, then French-speaking talent. Uh, you know, and bringing it into to various clubs, and uh, you know, I think that. I've I've said for a long time the most important position at Monaco is not that of coach, it's that of sporting director because the only way the Monaco project can work is if they bring in players who are ready for first team football, immediately use them, immediately add value to them, and then sell them on very mm. within a short space of time, either one mm. or two seasons, mm. uh, and they're going to need to get those players to be fetching the same amounts of money that they were when it was Luis Campos uh, of Lille, who might also be on the move this summer, uh, when he was sort of overseeing that project and you know Monaco were printing money uh, at one mm. point with some of the players that they were, mm. you know, they were bringing through and, and selling on. So it's a, it's a tall order, but I, you know, I think it's, it's one that could work again when you consider the strong position that Monaco will, will be in if they can get a lot of their biggest earners uh, off of the books, you know, because there's a lot of players there who don't necessarily justify the, the money that they, they earn. Mm. I'm thinking about Golovin, who, you know, was a, he was a bit of a flash in the pan at the, at the Russia World Cup. Fabregas, as much as he's a great character to have in French football, is paid a lot for somebody who's not particularly mobile on the pitch these days. Uh, and, you know, people like Kamil Glick, uh, okay, we've seen Subasic leave already, uh, mm. you know, guys who helped Monaco win the title a couple of years ago, but haven't really done anything si yet yeah. since, apart from, you know, get older and yeah. less mobile. So it's, <laughs> you know, I think yeah. it's, I can see why it would appeal to somebody like Mitchell, especially if, uh, you know, the Red Bull hierarchy sort of seems to be going through uh, a, a load of changes. Yeah, so, so one, one, one French talent that seems to be cropping up on a lot of the, the European club's radar at the moment is you're going to have to help me out with this one, Jonathan. Is Ad the 17 year old at PSG, Adil? Adil, Adil. Oh, okay. yeah, I, yeah, I'm trying to. I've been trying to practice it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a very talented kid um, in high demand. 
knows what he wants and what he wants is to stay at PSG for a little bit longer to try and establish himself in the mm. senior setup. The problem is that those opportunities or guarantees of those kind of opportunities are very hard to come by. Mm. Uh, PSG are having a real battle at the moment, keeping their hands on Tongi Kuesi, who, in fact, I think the situation between PSG um, and, and Kuesi may well have been aided by the fact that there's now some uncertainty in the, the, the Red Bull hierarchy because it had looked, to all intents and purposes, like he was going to move on. Uh, and sign his first professional contract uh, elsewhere. Mm. So at the moment, Rashish is the you know the sort of uh, you know the big homegrown star that PSG could potentially lose this summer. Um, and the latest is that PSG may well have agreed to loan him out somewhere, potentially within Ligue because there are clubs uh, who you know who want to to give him first team football now, notably Saint Etienne. He could end up signing professional terms, being loaned out, and then PSG will obviously watch his development closely and, and see if they can bring him back, mm. uh, you know, in a season's time and, and try and you know make a go of it with him in the the senior setup. I mean, he's so talented at such a young age, uh, you know, he could easily play sort of two seasons of, of first team football in Ligue 1, still not even be twenty, <clears throat> and either come back and have a crack at the PSG first team. Uh, mm. you know, or move on elsewhere and, and be a star somewhere else. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I think if that is the the possibility that's being talked up, it would be a, a good move for all parties. Mm. Um, but obviously PSG have this, uh, you know, this very checkered history of bringing through good young talent and then, and then keeping it. There's only been a few examples, uh, you know, the likes of Rabiot, the likes of Kimpembe, the likes of Ariola, and even, you know, two of those three guys you know, not even be playing their football at, at Parc des Princes this season. So mm. it's uh, it, it's something that PSG really do need to address. Mm. Um, and it would be a big loss if if Ashish yeah. did uh, slip through their fingers. But it sounds at this moment in time like there could be a deal done where he extends his contract, but gets a guaranteed loan move that's going to see him get the the sort of first team exposure that he needs. Mm. But talk, talking of um, getting deals done. I don't know if you saw the um, the article around sort of the the transfer room application that that Premier League clubs have sort of uh, started to buy into a little bit and uh, it was online speed dating for football transfers in in the uh, remote world that we're in. Um, what do you think about that? You know what? It's really funny you asked me about that. Um, obviously, <laughs> having having gone to university together at the University of Hertfordshire, it's it's funny how sometimes old connections come back uh, and, and, you know, sort of make an appearance sort of 10 years or more down the mm. line. And actually somebody I went to university with uh, recently contacted me who's a part of the, the transfer room. Oh, really? App. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's something I wasn't that aware of until recently when I, when I got this message on, uh, on LinkedIn. So, you know, I checked it out and it's, it's a very interesting concept. Uh, I mean, basically... You swiped right, Jonathan, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's um it's uh you know for for clubs to be able to sort of cut out going to the agent mm. going straight to the club or for, mm. for the clubs to basically be advertising who's who's available mm. uh is i mean it's almost kind of becoming more football manager like mm. it's, it's like you know yeah. go, go go to your player search who's transfer listed who's loan listed and set, the stat, set the stats to a certain number <laughs> exactly i mean it's, it's almost like that and, yeah. Uh, yeah you know i mean i i think that that sort of thing 
has uh, you know a certain value, especially at times like these, because the clubs need to be saving money wherever they can. And if you're saving money by you know not putting it in the pockets of agents who you know are not exactly going to push mm. the the deal that much further on, mm. it's uh, you know I, th- I think it is you know something that at this yeah. moment in time is uh, out the middle, a particularly man. useful tool. Yeah, exactly. Well, you yeah, look yeah. at, you look at like stuff like, um, like Moneyball and the Oakland's athletics team and, you know, data, you know, data analysis to, to drive, to drive sports success. And like, you just kind of think it's coming, isn't it? And, and like you said, and we make the football manager sort of a uh, connections there, but actually, you know, I, I think some sort of scouts being out in a, in a in a stadium somewhere in a far-flung place, not only is not impossible right now because of coronavirus, but actually it's probably going to be a thing increasingly of the past anyway. So I think as in all walks of life, I think this this episode has been pushing people to think a bit differently and I think football's no different. So you just see what else changes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we were speaking about how this, you know, the French way of approaching the the transfer window is is already kind of thinking outside the box, and how some clubs in France are going to get inventive about things. You know, I think clubs across the board are going to have to start doing that because it's not only mm. France that's being financially affected by this, mm. and also, you know, it's not like f- French football was in the worst financial state in comparison to some other leagues anyway before all of this. You know, at the end of the day. Egan will still benefit from a massive uh, bumper new TV deal at the start of next season, assuming that the campaign can get underway on time. Uh, you know, so that will put clubs in a better sort of medium to long-term position, even mm. if the short-term position is a bit precarious. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, but long-term, there are going to be a lot of clubs who have to think, you know, strategically how you know how how are they going to to continue to do all these things and you know with not only stuff like transfer room, but uh, you know, also, you know, people moving more towards stats, stats-based stuff. I know the, the guys at uh, Stats Bomb, you know, mm. do do a great job. Uh, you know, Opta have, have uh, you know, sort of moved towards uh, sort of doing more individualized uh, stats-based analysis. Uh, you know, and you've got other stuff online as well, like Y Scout and stuff mm. like that. You know, yeah. of course, you know, it's going to make, uh, I wouldn't say it's going to make scouting a, a thing of the past. Uh, but it's going to make it sort of a, a more of a non-essential uh, tool for clubs uh, moving yeah. forward. If it's something that they feel or the, you know, the coaching staff and the recruitment staff feel that they can do sort of from the comfort of their office instead of, yeah. uh, you know, going out to, to some obscure country to maybe get a 15 minute glimpse of the player. Any, anything to make it more like football manager I'm up for really it gives us all a chance. Doesn't it? <laughs> um, just, just, just before we wrap up, Jonathan, I know, I'd like, are, are, should Arsenal fans get excited with the arrival of William Saliba? Uh, I, th- I think he is definitely, a, you know, one of French football's most talented uh, up-and-coming stars. Uh, I think he is somebody who is ready for a new challenge uh, or will be ready for a new challenge in the, in the near future. Uh, he's gone almost as far as he's going to be able to go with Saint-Étienne in the current state that they're in um, I I, uh, I mean I, I worry a little bit about too much being expected of him too soon uh, because there is a lot of I mean there's always a lot of buzz whenever Arsenal sign a player particularly from France given the sort of historic links yeah. uh, but especially one who you know sort of lives up to the hype as Saliba did before some of his injury issues in the in the, in the season just gone mm. so I'd say as long as he's able to put those those fitness issues behind him 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that he will turn into a very good signing. Uh, I, I definitely have more confidence in somebody like him than somebody like uh, Mavropanos. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know too much uh, about him, obviously, in the same way that yeah, I know about somewhere Sabina, in Germany. But... They're thinking of making it permanent, maybe somewhere yeah. in Germany, isn't he, I think? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that that doesn't surprise me. And, you know, it's just, mm. it's something that we've seen sort of repeat itself uh, mm. in the in the past at Arsenal when you know certain gambles have been made on some young players. I mean, I was reading a, a recent article on the Athletic about the the Brazilian scout who somehow managed to to infiltrate the Arsenal hierarchy yeah. and then uh, didn't have that much success with with some of the players that he eventually got them to buy, but. You know, as the article said, it's it's always a risk. You know, when you're mm. buying into potential mm. talent, but the th- the great thing about Saber is that it's not it's not only potential that Arsenal are buying into. You can see the talent that he has, mm. and he's been able to show that already. Uh, you know, over the course of a couple of seasons with uh, Saint-Étienne, so mm. it's I I think it's a very good move, uh, and I think he will be ready for it. It's just a shame that he didn't get to finish off the remainder. Uh, of this campaign because of the way that everything has gone um, and he yeah. may well not be able to to play in the the cup final for Saint-Étienne which you know would be a fitting uh, farewell yeah. so basically basically Tom we've got the new Tony Adams on our hands so it's it's all good absolutely that's it <laughs> and I think the, the danger is though that as you've just rightly alluded to Jonathan with Arsenal as well we've had quite a lot of I, I dispute the fact that we've had rubbish defenders for the last 20 years which is what you often get Arsenal fans saying but what we've had is young talented defenders and very often coming into very unstable backline, quite an unstable club, but certainly an unstable defensive unit. And that doesn't help them. So I do, my fears with Saliba are very similar in the sense that he may have all the talent in the world, but at that age and that profile and that experience level, i.e. not phenomenally experienced, my fear is that, you know, he's still going to come into a team that probably isn't necessarily the most drilled <laughs> defensive unit and that's never going to help a young, talented defender. So Just we'll see. But Arteta, yeah. I think it might change, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully so. Hopefully yeah. so. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. That's been fantastic. Yeah, and well, no, I really appreciate having, having you on, on guys. It's uh, it's been been an absolute pleasure, and uh, would love to come back on at some yeah. point. As a quick reminder, we are running our first competition: a chance to win a copy of Zonal Marking by Michael Cox. For all the details, check out our usual social channels, HTO Football. We are also taking time for tea later this month and supporting Bob Wilson's fantastic charity, the Willow Foundation. Again, all the details on our usual social channels and please give generously if you can. Speak soon.